0: A murder mile. Today, I'm standing on Greek Street in Soho W1. A few doors south of William Creese's deadly dose of syphilis. A few doors west of Susan Latini's Stockholm syndrome. A few doors up from Joe Ganain's drug-fueled murder spree. And a few steps from the hobo tax collector. Coming soon to Murder Mile. A 23 Greek street currently stands a five-storey office block with the shell of the pleasant lady Zhang Bing's Chinese street food stall below and the stench of avocados and falafel coming from the production companies above. And with a horrible, dash facade, like a statue's been sick. A set of nasty white windows, reminiscent of a 1980s comprehensive. And its graffiti-covered wall, reeking of wee-wee. This building is so ugly. It looks like an architect, sat on a box of Meccano, and thought, yeah, that'll do. Back in 1904, at 23 Greek Street stood a provisions shop called Dearden's, ran by the Dearden family. And above, in a modest three story terrace, was their home with space for several lodgers. On Sunday, the 31st of July 1904, at roughly 12 30 am, a fight broke out near the doorway of 23 Greek Street between two young men, Edward Devaney and Raphael Ciccolino. Amidst a melee of fists and drunken yells in a brawl which risked one man's execution and another man's death. Although its many witnesses spoke of the shouts that they heard and the blows they had seen, it seems strange that no one saw the truth. My name is Michael I'm your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 231, The Good Samaritans. Drinking and fighting are nightly staples of most cities. As once the pubs are shut a puke of insensible idiots, incapable of rational thought after they've had a whole pint of happy juice, grunt like flatulent pigs as their lonely brain cells command sovereign-ringed fists to pommel another Neanderthal's head. Some may say good riddance to these dregs of society, but sometimes there can be more to a fight Than at first glance. The night of Saturday, the 30th of July, 1904, was a hot one. A steam rose from a recent downpour on the streets. With the air sticky, it seemed like the only way to quell the city's temper was by drinking. 25-year-old Edward Thomas Devaney was a superintendent at the Hippodrome in Leicester Square. Holding down a steady job and living in a one-roomed lodging on New Compton Street, he had no real plans for the future. As he was all about, Saturday nights out with his pals, a few pints and a fight. Described as a 'er ne'er-do-well, a yob, an oath, and a lout. He wasn't best blessed with brains, and once he'd got a few pints inside of him, he didn't care who got hurt, as it was all about his pride and his fun. With a conviction for stealing a purse and a watch, he served eight months' hard labour. Having not learned his lesson, he stole another watch and served another twelve months. And with 12 more months for more theft, and 12 more months for the assault of a policeman, he would spend 4 of his 7 adult years in prison, and having shat his whole life away, he was unlikely to deviate from a path of theft, drink and violence. But then again, morons will always be morons. Having finished his shift at the Hippodrome, Edward did as he always did and headed into Soho for a few pints with his pals – Arthur Langley, Edward Lynch and his brother-in-law James Albert Lee. As a 32-year-old labourer with scars, tattoos and cut knuckles, Arthur Langley had served nine years plus for theft, burglary and assault. As for the other two, Edward Lynch was a local tailor, who being red-faced and a little bit too loud, was prone to brawling, but rarely got into any trouble. And James Lee, who was a sober man, often stood in the background as tall and thin as a beanpole. Finishing his shift at the Hippodrome at 11.30pm, Edward met up in a pub on Shaftesbury Avenue with Edward Lynch, Arthur Langley and James Lee. Where it is said he swigged back three pints of beer until the pub called Last Orders had just gone midnight. Booted out of this beverage shop and almost certainly singing a dirty little ditty about an impressively bosom girl called Sally. The lads headed into Soho and for reasons which were never fully explained. They slunk to 23 Green Street, where one of the Hippodrome supers, called Freddie Hopkins, lodged. With a drunken bravado echoing across the deserted street, although the shop was shut and the lights in the lodging above were out, Edward banged hard and rang the bell incessantly. Waking Maud did and with a start, the landlord's 18-year-old daughter said she heard singing and banging, men shouting, and what sounded like something being smashed. And with their raucous brain unsettling the sleeping children, Maud stormed downstairs, her little sister cowering behind her. Among the dark of the hallway, as a light burst in from outside, owing to a broken front door, hanging off of its hinges, all she saw were the sinister silhouettes of three men, Devaney, Lynch and Langley. As a petite young woman, wearing just her nightdress, she should have been scared but being so used to their obnoxiousness. All she saw was a bunch of slurring intoxicated assholes, staggering around like their hips were made of jelly, and demanding, ''Where's Hopkins? Where's that fat bastard got to?'' With this being her home, Maud ushered these three mashed menaces out, hissing, ''You'll have to go. He's asleep!'' Come back tomorrow. And with the beam pole frame of James Lee, as motionless and vague as ever, and almost silently blending in with the street lamps, as he slowly shepherded the rear to outside, Come on, lads. Home time, I think. At that point, Edward was still trying to get in. When questioned by the police, Edward Devaney said... We rang the bell, but did nothing more to get in. Miss and came down, I asked for Hopkins, and that's it. But as the lads congregated outside of 23 Greek Street, a dark and sinister stranger approached. as Freddie Hopkins peered from his window, too cowardly to confront the commotion below. He'd tell the court, I saw a foreign man come round the corner. Stocky like a bulldog, strutting like a peacock, and as stiff as a seething cobra ready to strike. Dressed entirely in black, the dark Italian spat furiously. Having never seen him before, the lads had no idea what he wanted. As in an indecipherable gibberish, the Italian shoved Edward hard. <laughs> Ew, what's he saying? Ah, fuck off, mate. Leave it out. I don't fucking know who he is. Not are joking. What? Are you, are you mad or something? something. Bloody nutter. Bloody tight. But with this foreigner's fists up plucked the hands of two sledgehammers, spoiling for a fight. As James ushered Lynch and Langley across the street to safety, Edward and the foreigner got stuck in, knocking seven shades of shit out of each other. As I say, morons will always be morons. Their fisticuffs only lasted a minute at best, maybe two, and with both men pummeling each other as much as the other, nobody won, nobody lost, face was saved, and with James separating the two, they both went about their ways, shedding obscenities from an ever-increasing distance. <laughs> And as they walked in different directions, no doubt regaling their pals with a bullshit version of their pathetic little spat. For Edward, although fuming, he'd had a good night, a few pints, and a fight. It had begun as quickly as it ended. Or at least, that's what they thought. Having walked up Greek Street, Edward recalled, After 80 yards, I said I was going home, and I went back down towards Old Compton, as he lived on New Compton Street. But as they approached the corner, there he was, the foreigner, right outside of 23 Greek Street. With the Italian facing the other way, and Edward still fuming. Instead of letting it be, being nothing more than a drunken lout, he'd state, I got up to him, and I struck him with my fist two or three times. As he often did, James tried to break up the fight, shouting, Don't be a fool, come away. But Edward was in too deep. Punching fast and hard, although Edward had the upper hand being a few inches taller, all it took was a single mistake for his life to change forever. As having put the wrong foot in the wrong place at the wrong time, as he tripped over a curbstone, I slipped to the ground, and next he was on top of me. with the Italian raining down punches, and Edward giving sharp thumps to the gut. The two men pounded on, their bleeding fists slamming into each other's bodies as James tried to split them apart. As a melee of flying limbs and furious grunts, it was impossible for any witness on this partially lit street to see what had happened. As some saw fists, others only saw feet. Some said several men were at it, whereas others said it was just the two. And although several witnesses were heard to cry, Don't to him, and no blades, come on, fair play. Some saw a knife being pulled, whereas others saw nothing. Rising to his feet and fearing retaliations from the angry men who surrounded him. As the Italian fled, Lynch recalled Devaney got off the ground and went after him. Running down O'Compton Street, Devaney overtook him and struck him once in the face. But hearing a cry of police help from one of the eyewitnesses, As the Italian headed west, the lads headed east. Bleeding from a swelling eye, spitting bloodied spittle, and limping ever more profusely as he staggered down Charing Cross Road. With his adrenaline still pumping, it was only as he took a moment to catch his breath that Edward realised that he had been stabbed. with blood over his hands, and pulling down his legs in a never-ending torrent. With a knife wound to his right buttock, but also his groin, a soft plateau of flesh containing vital arteries and veins, they caught a camp and immediately sped to Charing Hospital. Admitted a casualty, and given the very best available treatment for his wounds, a few hours later, 25-year-old Edward Thomas Devaney was discharged from hospital and made a full recovery. Although he had two knife wounds, one an inch long to the right buttock and the other in the lower part of his abdomen, having only punched the skin, these superficial wounds were stitched and dressed. And with no long-term damage to his vital organs, Edward left and went about his day. The fight had been bloody and brutal, but no one had died. At least not yet. Like Edward, he didn't know he'd been stabbed But seeing him stumble away from a raging crowd on Greek Street, a taxi driver drove him straight to Charing Cross Hospital. With a seemingly superficial wound to his abdomen, it was stitched and bandaged. But as he drifted in and out of consciousness, with the blade having punctured his intestines, the tall, thin frame of the patient grew paler and sicker. As his own guts had begun to poison him. Knowing he was unlikely to ever recover, the doctor said, You know you're gonna die. And having mumbled, Yes. A few minutes later, 22 year old James Lee was dead. He hadn't drank. He hadn't argued. He hadn't fought. And being a quiet, sober man, this good Samaritan had simply stepped in to break up a fight. And yet the blade meant for Edward had ended his life. That night, in a dingy little lodging at 14 Arthur Street in West Brompton, James' murderer returned. As the dark foreigner entered this gloomy hovel, pulling from his bloodied pocket a bone-handled clasp knife, before stashing the evidence in his drawer, he wiped the blade clean with a rag and a sharpener. Only this was not a callous killer. Impassive having taken a life. This was a man in panic. 32-year-old Italian, Raphael Ciccolino, was so perturbed by his own actions that when his landlady, Rosina Martin, came to deliver his breakfast in the morning, she would state, The door was shut, the room was empty, and the bed was dirty, as if somebody with muddy clothes had lain on it and someone had been sick. Those who knew him said that Raphael wasn't an uncouth lout, but a quiet and reserved gentleman, who was sober, peaceful, and was no bother to anyone. The next morning, being too terrified to flee, but also too poor not to earn, Raphael returned to his job, as a kitchen porter at the French club on Lyle Street. Having misplaced his hat, although his tatty waistcoat now sported a new hole and several fresh stains which no one knew was blood, what made the cook's laugh was his black eye, as apparently this stout little man had got into a fight. Who gave you this then, then? Your misses Mended Englishmen Ah yeah right and how many we talking? Six maybe ten Ha six he says maybe ten my speckled ass He worked his shift as best he could, washing dishes with shaking hands, and getting ribbed about his fight. But with his description circulated across Soho, it was only a matter of time until he was caught. On the morning of Monday, the 1st of August, Rafael Ciccolino was arrested at the French club, having been pointed out by the cowardly Freddie Hopkins taken to Vine Street Police Station, with Detective Inspector Drew stating, I am charging you with stabbing two men in Greek Street, one of whom who has since died. But barely able to converse in broken English, Raphael looked lost. And although it didn't take an interpreter, who would later arrive, to translate, No fight, me no knife. His defense was never going to be easy. As the inspector replied, Sorry, mate, I don't speak French. So many details would be lost in translation. And yet, ironically, that was how the fight had begun. The evidence against Raphael was overwhelming examined by Dr. Mitchell, with extensive bruises to his jaw, nose, legs, knees, and the back of his head, the police surgeon would state he had been very badly mauled. And although clearly shocked at how deadly this brawl had been, although he shook, and he cried, and he repeatedly vomited, there was no denying that, regardless of how remorseful he was now, That fight had led to a man's death. In his lodging, the police found the knife hidden in a drawer. With a reddish-brown film on the blade, from where he had wiped it clean. Although an attempt to destroy the evidence was seen by the police, the bloodied speckles which remained lay the black fluff matching his pocket's lining. And a sprinkling of tobacco leaves identical to the brand that he smoked. Back at Vine Street Police Station, against a lineup of ten stocky men of Italian appearance, Raphael was picked out by Edward Devaney, his victim and the brother in law of the deceased, Edward's boozy pals, Arthur Langley and Edward Lynch, Freddie Hopkins the Coward. And more Dearden of 23 Greek Street. Question with an interpreter present. Although he gave a piecemeal statement in a mix of excitable Italian and broken English, repeatedly asserting, I had no knife, only my hands. Everyone see that? Even though no one could recall seeing a knife, not even Edward it didn't help that he'd lied. Charged with the wounding of Edward Devaney and the willful murder of James Lee, as two men who he didn't know, who he had never met until that moment, the impact of his actions would be so overwhelming that on two occasions, as he sat in his prison cell, Raphael would attempt to take his own life. using whatever he could find. In the first instance, he ripped off the buttons off his jacket and made from highly toxic lead and decorated with lethal levels of an arsenic-based paint. He swallowed them. In the second instance, having survived owing to quick-witted officers, he strangled himself using his own coat sleeves and running fast, he headed headfirst into the cellstone wall until he fell unconscious. Suffering little more than bruises, cuts and a mild concussion, his suicide attempts would prove futile. But what had driven this quiet little man to stab a stranger? He didn't know. The night of Saturday the 30th of July 1904 was a hot one. A steam rose from a recent downpour on the street. And with the air sticky, it seemed like the only way to quell the city's temper was by drinking. But not for Raphael. Being a sober man, although he was sat in the Swiss Hotel on Old Compton Street with Joseph Berger, a cook from the French club. There was no argument to rile his temper and no excessive drink to cloud his judgement. As having supped a small wine, he left the pub at 12.30am. His plan was to head off home to bed after a 14-hour shift. He was alone. As his pal had said goodbye, he was walking west to get his bus. In his pocket, he carried a tin of tobacco because he smoked and a bone-handled knife as being a kitchen porter and often a cook. Many men in his line of work carried the tools of their trade and he only stopped because he heard a scream. Turning off Old Compton Street and onto Greek Street, to the side of the provisions shop, he saw the petite frame of 18-year-old Maud, her front door hanging off its hinges, her little sister carrying behind her and surrounded by drunken lats. No one was coming to her aid, not even the cowardly Freddie Hopkins. Raised well, unlike others who would have walked by. Although he wasn't a brawler, Raphael came to this lone woman's aid and rightly reprimanded Edward, who was trying to force his way back in. Raphael was just a stranger, but he was the good Samaritan that more needed in a moment of fear. Only with no one having a clue what he was saying. Yeah, what's he saying? Nah, fuck off, mate. But how? I don't fucking know who he is. Must be it's a nutjob. He's war, bloody high tide. Raphael would state, "I saw a man strike a woman. I spoke to him, but he did not understand me." And there sits the irony. As at that moment, there wasn't one good Samaritan, but two. As with both Raphael Ciccolino and James Lee, trying to stop Edward and to protect Maud, these two quiet men had stepped in where others hadn't. But unable to understand the other, details were lost in translation. Initially fleeing as he was scared, the only reason Raphael returned to 23 Greek Street was because he was worried about Maud. Having crossed paths, the only reason James was stabbed was because he was protecting Edward. And the only reason that Raphael pulled a knife was because he was fearing for his life. As the drunken lout called Edward Devaney had sunk a few pints, and was spoiling for a fight. On the 3rd of August 1904, before Judge Denham, 32-year-old Rafael Ciccolino was tried at the Old Bailey on the charge of malicious wounding and murder. From the witness box and through a translator, he would claim he was set upon by Edward, but also by Lynch Langley and later attacked by James Lee, and that as he hadn't got a knife in his possession, he'd defended himself with his fists. Unable to decide who was telling the truth, as the evidence confirmed that someone had stabbed both men, as none of the witnesses had conclusively seen the knife, and even Edward would state, I cannot say for certain who stabbed him. With a defense claiming provocation, a jury took 10 minutes to find him guilty of murder. Sentenced on the 15th of September, Rafael Ciccolino was given 8 years penal servitude. And with Edward seen as one of the victims, no charges of assault, intimidation, criminal damage or even violence were brought against him. And never changing his ways, he continued living his life as a drunken oaf, who stole to suit his needs, who terrorized young girls to make himself feel big, and as a loser who got into pathetic fights with strangers over nothing, all because His life was worthless. James Lee was buried in Westminster, having only lived 22 years of his young life. Raphael Ciccolino served his sentence, and he returned to his family in Italy. And although they had hardly met, these were two good Samaritans who'd risked their lives for a stranger. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host. <sighs> was that? that was fine. That was fine. Oh. Oh. stretch oh what time is it oh do this go on a walk get to the coffee shop for about two have a decaf soy latte should be fine oh how's everyone doing we all good welcome to extra mile unscripted unedited bit blah 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 see that would be edited out but not today not today not any day nothing bum bum fluff there we go that would be edited out burp that would be edited out brilliant but it's not it's going to stay in because this is the unscripted unedited bit therefore if there's mistakes that happen in this bit it's just, it's just like regular tr- I always find it fascinating when people message me going, an extra mile, you made a mistake it's like, that's the whole point if I make a mistake an extra mile, it stays it just stays, that's the whole point oh, anyway uh, I think I'm going to open up some windows, it's, it's I think it's, this might be the last hot day uh, for our excuse of a summer, it's very nice outside it's very pleasant just gonna open up the window I removed your little hat that's going your hat's gonna go back into its little box uh, just gonna open up oh take away the the pillows which act as kind of protection on from, uh, around the curtains you can hear an annoying helicopter going by I'm not gonna have a shout at the crappy little pathetic businessmen flying around in their little air little aircraft done that can't be arsed with them today it's a nice day it's just a nice day to go outside and have fun and etc uh, et uh walked by some nice little horses the other day so there's a uh, three little kind of chestnut dark red chestnut colored horses uh having a nice little they're, they're nice they're very calm you can go up to them and say hello to them and they're very nice i think because they're behind a nice wire fence whereas arseholes who walk their dogs and don't have their dogs on the lead even though the sign says keep your dog on the lead because there's there's wildlife around there's cattle and sheep and you get the arseholes who go oh, my dog's fine it's all right he's just he's just having fun he's just chasing them it's what he does he's just having a bit of a giggle he's not going to do anything wrong those arseholes they're the same assholes, aren't they who let their kids run around after pigeons and then their kids try and stomp the pigeons they go oh they're just having fun they alone. I've got to go back into the coffee shop in a bit, which is always full of little bastards. There is one little bastard that I particularly hate, and his mum doesn't give a shit at all. It's like she she sits there yakking away with her friend, like her the only part of her that gets any effing exercise is her gob, and it doesn't shut up all day. But her child, like she, her eyes, don't keep an eye on the child. The child is running around a coffee shop where people are carrying boiling liquids, and he's not watching where he's going because he's a fucking idiot and he's running around he's pushing this little uh stool around and running around and falling and his mum doesn't give a shit really I've, those people really piss me off really piss me off i was hoping i was hoping i wouldn't have a grumble but I, I you know me i have to have a grumble uh what else is going on i'm still on my diet still doing well diet's still going well haven't had a cake in a long while i had a treat cake for my six year anniversary of murder mile ah uh, but that was it that was it I'm c- kind of off the booze as well not really eating uh chocolate not really eat- oh pretty much off chocolate um and fizzy pops and booze and breads and cakes and biscuits and all that just trying to be good now just trying to be good it's good because I, I can have stuff now I can have like I, I, I can't remember whether I mentioned this there was a couple of weeks ago and I'd had a really busy night uh, and I got in about midnight and I thought it's too late to make something a pizza place is open I'll have a pizza so I went in and I bought a pizza and I was just like I'll have that one yeah that's all good yeah paid paid like 10-15 quid and it was a, a pizza that was probably as big as my table so it's about 2 feet by 2 feet and I thought oh, I'll have that and I'll have some for breakfast in the morning and while I was sitting there watching Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares I ate the whole bloody pizza and I thought oh I'm going to hurt tomorrow I'm really going to hurt because my body's not used to processed stuff it's not used to cheese it's not used to bread didn't even I don't even think my body knew what it was it just I think it just digested it immediately so that was good that was very good so there you go there's some more waffly chit chat uh what else is going on I think yeah last day before it pisses down I think we got three days of pissing down in a bit so there we go um But I'm I'm just knuckling down at the moment. I'm just knuckling down to get all these episodes done. So uh, I I can't remember. I think I can't remember when this episode goes out. I think this goes out. When does it go out? Let me have a look at my notes. Let me have a look at my notes. Bear with, bear with, bear with, bear with. When does this episode go out? See, you'll know because you'll you'll just be looking at your watch. But I'm I'm weeks I'm weeks ahead. So uh, let's see where we are uh this episode goes out on see I had no idea where I am at the moment the 2nd of November there we go unless obviously you're listening to this in the past then know, who really cares but today is the 10th of October so uh yeah I'm about three weeks ahead already uh and I'm gonna power ahead with these because uh, I've already kind of drafted out the final three episodes I've got three more to finish researching but I know what those cases are and I've done a bulk of it already I've prepped next week's episode which is good so uh yeah my plan is to get everything done hopefully by the middle of November so then I can take a tiny little bit of time off and relax a bit and then December get into the archives and start finding some new stuff so that's what I want to do all exciting uh got loads of projects going on as well so I want to make sure I've got time for that a Big thank you to new Patreon subscribers, who are James Father, Betty Lou, and the Inquisitor. The Inquisitor! So, uh, thank you, James. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, The. Because The will be your first name, so there we go um so thank you everyone uh, uh thank you for becoming patron, and support supporters. don't forget you can become a patron su- support for as little as three dollars a month which is two pounds in real money uh also there's a trial on there so you can click a uh, trial button so you can you can have a look around you can explore everything within within your tier uh and have a look at all the old stuff that's on there for about a week and then at the end of the week it'll say do you want to continue doing this and then you, you can go yes or no so uh so it's worth doing the little trial because it's all free let's do some quiz questions I didn't stuff this up like I did last week and forgot to add in the stuff for extra mile. I remember this time so let's do the quiz questions then we'll do the extra stuff so uh question number one what job did Edward do don't forget I haven't edited this episode yet so some of these questions might not appear in the episode episode two, uh, episode two question two what job did james do question number three how many years out of seven had edward spent in prison question number four what job did what job did edward lynch do question number five how many pints do we know that edward devaney drank that night Question number six, how did Edward describe Freddie Hopkins? Question number seven, what hospital were uh, Edward and James taken to? Question number eight, what street did Raphael live on? Question number nine, what was the name of Raphael's landlady? And question number ten, what language did the inspector think the Italian spoke great bit of detective work there well done uh so let's dive into some stuff in here uh rafael Ciccolino, 32 years old described as short stout a dark man with a mustache who speaks very little english um people have said he was quiet and reserved a gentleman uh who comes would always come to a lady's aid uh his landlady described him as quiet peaceable i don't think people use the word peaceable anymore and a regular man who pays his rent in a regular way um so by and large people seem to like him uh he in his room he got a small room uh in an undisclosed disclosed place there we go I'm learning not to give up the quiz questions he'd been there for about two years it was a small back room on the ground floor and there was a set of cooking utensils in there and the knife had come from that drawer uh, but also they they were the knives that he sometimes used when when not a kitchen porter and he'd sometimes get called in to be not a chef but kind of a bit of a cook uh, so yeah he had knives dotted around uh, but do you know he, they, they were all useful things it's not it's not like he was carrying a knife because oh i'm a gangster i'm a gangster um that night uh he went out with joseph valentine berger a belgian uh who lived uh, one street away on church street that's now called romilly street uh they knew each other well because they worked at the french club uh on lyle street Uh, Worked together, he said. Uh, We left the club at about 11pm. We went down to Compton Street, as people call it. It's actually Old Compton Street. Um, And then they went for a drink. They went to the Swiss Hotel on Old Compton Street. That's now known as Compton's. Uh, And then at uh, about half past 12, they separated. They had a little drink together and then they buggered off. Don't forget, this is... uh, there was kind of later closing hours then. You could kind of close when you, when you needed to, really. Um, but the... Uh, what was I going to say? I can't remember what I was going to say. There we go. Uh, maybe it'll come back to me. Uh, Freddie Hopkins, full name Frederick Harry Hopkins. We know that he worked with Edward at the Hippodrome. Uh, we know that he was one of the lodgers at 23 Greek Street, and that's the reason why edward and his pals were going there but we don't know why they went there that's it's it's never explained they they said they urgently needed to see frederick or freddie as he was called but it was never explained why uh, Maud rebecca dearden was the 18 year old uh, daughter her parents ran the provision shop on the ground floor of 23 greek street uh, she also worked there uh, they were the landlords of the house above and they had let lodgers living in there. Uh, Freddie Hopkins had been there for about 12 months um, she went to bed about 11 30 p.m and she put the kids to bed uh, she then about an hour later said she heard the street door being forced open uh, she called out and said who is there uh, she heard singing she went downstairs her little sister followed her and in a passageway she found the door open and four men there now I didn't put this in the story because it throws it off but she said there was uh, Devaney, Lynch, Langley and someone called Morecambe. Now, we don't know who Morecambe is. It may have been that she, she mistook James Lee for Morecambe. But in an earlier account on this, I, see, I, t- I took this out as well, because sometimes if there's things that just don't make sense, it doesn't make sense to put them in because it'll just throw you off. So um, uh, Edward Devaney said that the other man there was a man called Gale. And he doesn't mention James Lee, his brother-in-law. So we don't know who Gail is. So this makes it more complicated. There's someone called Morecambe who no one knows, someone called Gail who no one knows, and no mention of Lee, even though Lee is there, uh, James Lee. So it's, that's what makes it really confusing. So I, I, I took that out of the episode because it just confuses things. Uh, Devaney said, we rang the bell but did nothing more to get in. Miss Dearden came down. I asked for Hopkins and she stopped me going upstairs. I did not come into contact with her which we know is bullshit because uh, he didn't just ring the doorbell, he forced down the door, the door was hanging off its hinges he was ringing the doorbell, he made his way in they tried to get some of the guys outside but he wanted to force his way back in and he was having a bit of a, a, a uh with Maud so um, Arthur Langley said, uh, he would admit that he said, uh, while Devaney, uh, Devaney was trying to force his way into the shop Obviously, it's around this point that uh, Raphael saw that bit. So he didn't see the start of it. He didn't see them breaking in. He just heard her scream and a a gang of men outside the house. And then uh, Devaney, Edward Devaney, confronting her trying to get in. So he doesn't know what's going on, but he knows that he has to do something about it. Um, The fight later on. So Edward would uh, say, the prisoner, that's uh, Raphael, ran away and I ran after him. I ran. He ran across Compton Street to Barnes Shop in Greek Street. Uh, my two friends were close behind. I got up to the prisoner and struck him with my fist two or three times, not more. He retaliated. My friends got me away and said, don't be foolish, come away. Um, see, uh, spoken like a true, true arsehole, isn't he? It's all, it's all about it's all about making sure the details are in there about how many, how many punches i got in. Yeah, I've got in at least three or four punches because cause I'm a legend. I am a legend. You're not a legend. You're fucking bellend, is what you are. I've do you see this in Soho, most places all the time, where all the bellends come out after they've had a couple of beers and they all want it. They all like to believe, ooh, I'm a bit tasty, I'm a bit tasty. Um, so that's why... Um when i used to do my walking tours i'd always do them on a sunday morning because sunday mornings not too bad you don't get like some people say oh can we do one on saturday nights and they'd have to pay me well for that because i hated saturday nights because it's just full of piss heads absolute assholes who want to be helpful and see something go oh that looks like fun i'm gonna i'm gonna join in as well oh why you why are you getting upset mate why are you getting upset i'm just joining in. i'm just having a bit of a giggle you'll know, you get those pricks doing that they're really fucking annoying because they're drunk there's nothing you can do about it you've got to be polite even though really what you want to say is go fuck yourself but um yeah so i used to do it on sunday mornings which is fine the only problem with that is you get the crack addicts a man has just gone past in a in a kayak and he has um a little uh cockapoo on the front of his kayak (sighs) the things you see the things you see every day anyway uh so that's uh yes so yeah um saturday nights in soho lots of fighting going on um let's see where we are uh Edward, not Edward Devaney. Uh, Edward Lynch would say. Uh, we we returned to go home. We passed the prisoner. He and Devaney recognised each other. Devaney said, "Here he is," and made towards him as if the fight was going to commence again. He slipped and fell backwards like a turd, uh and the deceased appeared on the scene. So that's James, uh, and looked as if he was going to pick Devaney up. The prisoner was in a stooping position over Devaney i see no actual blows struck because the deceased hid my view he was also stooping over devaney i saw no more of the deceased um there were independent witnesses there one of the witnesses was heard to cry don't to him to him means kind of stab him um and there was another one, Amy Richmond of uh Fifty Nine New Compton Street. She was not too far away at that point. She said, after the deceased reached the foreigner, see, that's why I call him the the foreigner, the dark foreigner, the, all that in here, because that's that's the way everyone is kind of regarding him in this. And what I wanted to do was try and get across the idea of how it was in that kind of era, how it was like. Um, because this guy's because he's Italian because he's he's a foreigner he's a foreigner, isn't he? He's a foreigner, therefore he's suspect, isn't he? Yeah, they're all criminals, aren't they? They're all bloody criminals, whole lot of them. Uh, I wanted to get across that kind of mentality in here that he can't be trusted because he's a bloody foreigner, isn't he? you, you can't trust him. You don't even know what they're saying. It's probably it's probably criminal stuff, isn't it? They're all criminals. They all come over here, do stealing, don't they? They're all stealing, all criminals. Why don't they fuck off back? It's like reading the Daily Mail, isn't it? Or or watching GB News. There you go. If you're a journalist, you know if your career's gone to shit. If you're you're hosting on GB News. Even Coot Outside agrees with me. I have a friend who was a a host on uh, GB News. (sighs) That's all I have to say about that. Uh, So she said... Oh, 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 I was trying to listen to an episode of Mile. He started waffling on about the, how he hates the Daily Mail and GB News. I think it's a good news organisation. Therefore, I'm going to give him one star. I would give him... I wanted to give him no stars, but iTunes won't let me. There you go. Um, Amy Richmond said... Uh, she said, after the deceased reached the foreigner, the deceased seemed to bend forward and the foreigner immediately ran away down Wardour Street. So that's west... Uh, when Devaney fell and the deceased ran up, Edith Rose said uh, one man, sorry Edith Rose said one dog, one bone don't all hit the man I mean maybe she was watching a porno, I don't know um, that, that seems to me I think she, what she was trying to say is that there seemed to be a bit of a melee going on with the other Edward and Arthur in there, they seemed to say that they weren't doing any fighting Maybe they weren't, or maybe they were trying to stop it and getting involved, and everyone thought it was a bit of a melee, or maybe people just got confused, we don't know. She 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 seems to be saying, you know, one dog, one bone, i.e., you know, just just two of you fight, it doesn't, you don't all need to, you don't all need to be hitting the uh, the Italian man. Uh, she said that before the deceased got up to Devaney, a man who I think was Lynch, though I'm not sure, replied to her, they shall not use knives. Uh, i do not know what made lynch say that Th- they were only flatting uh, flatting i.e you know, punching each other and slapping each other with that with their hands devaney was on the ground and the deceased was facing the prisoner uh what else was there? uh we'll, we'll do um, Raphael's statement obviously you, you can appreciate it. this is a statement which has come through he's got very very broken english so not very good english at all it has gone through uh a translator but the translator was an officer uh, i think his name was officer curry who worked at the police station so he wasn't a professional translator so we're having to rely on the level of his interpretation of what Raphael was saying so that's why this is kind of hard so the statement which is obviously not in Raphael's words but it's in a translated version of what Raphael said to Sergeant Curry, and Curry translated it in his from Italian to English. It said, uh, No, I have not killed the man. I have no knives. I used only my hands. Uh, there were ten men on top of me. Uh, I saw they were English and ran away. I saw some Englishmen knocking a woman about and went and spoke to them about it. When one man struck me in the eye and another in the hip, I then ran home at once after falling down twice i do not know even the neighborhood i mean that's not true at all he doesn't know the neighborhood uh i go to work at nine in the morning and go home at 11 at night um what else we got uh uh i uh, when asked he said uh, how can i do that i never had a knife i never carry a knife um the officer said i searched him and found no weapon that's because the uh, the weapon was actually in his flat uh, but he did occasionally carry a knife white because he's a chef of course he carries a knife it'd be like saying it'd be like saying you're a uh, a workman and you're not carrying a screwdriver or a hammer you know it, it just doesn't make sense at all uh dr ludwig freyberger uh was one of the pathologists uh, he looked at the knife and said uh it was clear that it had been wiped clean well not wiped clean but it'd been wiped with a rag it wasn't fully clean and then he'd been rubbing it on a on a uh, a sharpening stone so he was trying to get rid of um whether he was trying to clean away the blood we don't know or whether he was planning to use it the next day because he is a um a chef we don't know so maybe he was even though he did leave it in the drawer uh they said i found reddish brown stains on it uh, which had firmly adhered to the steel i also found in the space left uh for the point of the blade some black stuff which was the tobacco uh rubbing the, uh, uh sorry black stuff which was uh, rubbed from the lining of the pocket and some tobacco leaves i also came to the conclusion that the film had been occasioned by mammal blood so we're at an era here where they can they can determine the difference between mammal blood and non-mammal blood (laughs) um but they can't really do much more than that so they can't tell blood group at this point uh he also said uh that on the knife were some large cells uh, as form the covering of a skin and these were definitely human epithelium cells there you go human skin cells uh also on his jacket as well so um james had a wound to his jacket as well so james is wearing a black serge serge jacket waistcoat trousers woolen pants shirt and a woolen vest and when they looked at his jacket his um he had an exact mark on the outside of his clothes uh to the the kind of the abdomen area where he was stabbed uh there was also blood on the prisoner's waistcoat as well so that probably was when he was probably from the slash or something like that although if i remember correctly his landlady said that he don't forget this is uh, like you probably go into your wardrobe wardrobe and you probably see loads of clothes and you probably go "Mm, which clothes shall i wear today but when you go back almost a century or in this case more than a century people don't have a lot of selections of clothes they tend to have you have a good one and a bad one and you have you you have good one that you save for sunday best when you go to church and you have your regular clothes that you wear throughout the day uh, if you're lucky you might have a spare set of clothes as well um so hence his waistcoat is quite tatty uh, hence it's already got cuts in it hence it's already uh, it's already been stitched up by the landlady before and she did admit that she did see what she thought was bloodstains on it a couple of months ago but if you consider the fact that he is a cook might not be human blood it could be animal blood so there we go there we go I think that's it folks I think that's it yeah I think that's it I need to go to the coffee shop coffee shop as my grandma used to say coffee shop um let's do the quiz questions and then I'm gonna I'm gonna have a carrot oh michael your life is so exciting yes i know eating the carrot whoa that's what i do in the mornings to to speed up my metabolism is after i've had my porridge with all um nuts and berries and all that on there all the good stuff that you need to have in there then throughout the morning every hour i'll have a carrot as that speeds up my metabolism by eating every hour uh so therefore i don't have to have lunch by the time lunch comes around because i've already got food in my tum-tum And therefore, by the time I have my dinner around six o'clock, that digests quite quickly. So uh, because you shouldn't eat too late as well. Uh, And then in the evening, just to treat myself, I have some uh, some plain rice crackers. Do you know why? Weirdly, weirdly, I really like them. I quite look forward to them. I quite look forward to my little carrot as well. Not my little carrot. Eva looks forward to my little carrot. Hey, there you go. Smut. Um, So let's do the quiz questions. Uh, Let's see how many you got. Question number one. What job did Edward do? He was a superintendent at the Hippodrome. Hippodrome, if you go to Leicester Square, it's still there. It's on the corner of uh, Charn Cross Road. Uh, question number two. What job did James do? James was also a superintendent at the Hippodrome. That's how most of them knew each other. Question number three. How many years out of seven had Edward spent in prison? Four. So given the fact that from, his, uh, from the age of 18, he'd spent four or seven years out of, uh, of his adult life out of prison, you would think you'd just not be a criminal. You'd think to yourself, well, I've sp- if you spend that much time in prison, you're clearly shit at being a criminal. So why not just go straight? Why not just get a regular job? And then you don't have to embarrass yourself by going out and going, yeah, yeah, I did a four-stretch. I always find that fascinating when people waffle on about they go yeah I came out of prison I did a four stretch and you just go yeah but what's impressive about that you got caught you just proven that you're a bit of a prick that you're not particularly good at being a criminal that you're not particularly intelligent that you just you got easily caught it's just like surely a proper criminal." Is someone who's never ended up in prison because they're more skilled than you. If you end up in prison, you're just basically saying to people, I'm shit at being a criminal. Go straight. Fuck's sake. Uh, question number four. What job did Edward Lynch do? <coughs> he was a tailor. Oh, coughing. Question number five. How many pints do we know that Edward drank that night? Three. Three pints and then he was acting like a massive prick three pints not 10 not five three pints i mean even five come on five's not a lot but jesus christ three pints and he he had to have a fight with someone and then he had to accost a young lady who was who was defending her, her her young sister behind her what a turd what a massive turd I'm sure he's bigged it up and gone, yeah, yeah, i I like to get in there because, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm a criminal, isn't I? I'm, I? I'm a bad boy, isn't yeah Turd. Uh, question number six. How did Edward describe Freddie Hopkins? He described him as a fat bastard. There you go. Enjoy that. Question number seven. What hospital were both men taken to? It was Charing Cross Hospital. Question number eight, what street did Raphael live on? It was Arthur Street. Arthur, Arthur! Question number nine, what was the name of Raphael's landlady? It was Rossina Martin. And question number ten, what language did the inspector think that the Italian spoke? <coughs> French one idiot one massive idiot so there you go a story about idiots hey can life get any better a story about massive idiots who are just incompetent and effing stupid and ballsing stuff up because they they haven't got the uh, the brain power to go do you know what i'm not going to fight i don't need to fight i just need to go out and have a have a good time and then go home and say oh i had a good time and then go to bed probably have a little tom tank and then wake up in the morning and go oh i'm not in a prison cell but obviously some people can't do that some people are just fucking idiots so that's a uh, word of the wise folks don't be a fucking idiot um so that's it yeah i think that's done so next week uh, another one parter uh, that's ready to go and that'll take us through to the end of the year we'll end with a three-parter um if i i i might do something over christmas i haven't quite decided yet but there we go so i uh, hope you enjoyed that thank you very much for supporting the show it's very much appreciated uh if you enjoy the show don't forget to leave a little review and say i enjoyed this show it's worth five stars thank you very much michael for your free entertainment um or you can join patreon that's all good or 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 share it if you want to support the show share it with your friends say like post something and say hey people i really enjoyed this show uh, you should give it a go as well if you like true crime so there you go that's me done um have yourself a good good uh, what i don't know what i'm saying though i should just end this uh have yourself a good uh day and things and do da and uh, uh sleep well sleep well only if you go into bed uh and uh catch you soon stay safe lots of love people okay bye 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 bye